Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guests on today's podcast is a couple that's in my home, David and Ann Rickey. Welcome to the podcast. Thank Thank you. This is a couple um, in their mid-60s. They've been married for how many years, Ann or David? 44. 44 years. Um, and have three children and 13 grandchildren. And David is going to talk about his journey with same-sex attraction that has been a part of his life ever since the beginning of his life and something that he eventually opened up to his wife um, while he was serving as an LDS bishop in Nevada. And we're going to pick up most of the story there. Um, This is a podcast um, just of great vulnerability on David's part to share this journey with our listeners and to talk about this with his wife. This is a beautiful love story, a strong marriage. Um, But our prayer is that the things that they share will give understanding to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints ideas on how to help and support them and what we can do to come together as the same human family. Um, So with that, Any opening comments either of you would like to say just before we get going? I'm going to ask Anne a question. Will you just tell our listeners in a couple minutes about your conversion story into the church? I was raised Catholic, went through Catholic grade school and all-girls Catholic high school. And um, after high school, I was preparing to become a nun because that's what I thought I could do to best serve God. <clears throat> but if you're going to do something like that, you can't pick and choose what you agree with or believe in. You have to, the whole doctrine is there. And there were a few things I realized that um, I didn't quite understand or agree with. And so I was looking for something different. I worked at a nursing home. Um, on June 5th, a young man came to work at the nursing home. He looked like John Boy Walton. He was cute. And uh, I trained him. And he had just been off his mission for four days. We worked together June and July. Um, I went on a vacation with my family, and he, being a good missionary, gave me a Book of Mormon to read while I was gone. And I did, and it helped answer a lot of questions. I came home. Um, We went out to dinner before we went to work the day I came back. Um, That was at the end of August. I had the missionary lessons over the next few weeks. I was baptized September 25th. Um, he would never really date me. He said he would never date a redhead, which I was under these gray roots. I am a redhead or um, a, a Catholic. <laughs> so I didn't want to dye my hair, but we took care of the other. And I was baptized September 25th. We were immediately engaged and we decided to go ahead and, and have a civil marriage January 8th. Um, his parents were not active. My parents, of course, were extremely upset. So we met in June, we got married in January, and 44 years later, we're still here. Mm -hmm. And who baptized you? My husband. Um, That's a beautiful introduction to this story and um, beautiful love story. I wish you both, I wish our listeners could see this couple. They're just holding hands and it's just great to hear that part of your story. Um, Let's um, talk, David, just tell, introduce yourself to our listeners and and when you became aware of your same-sex attraction. Well, it all began as far as me being aware when I was a young teenager. 
I was living in rural uh, Washington State near Spokane, and and uh, I had a good family, a good life. I was the youngest of four children, and my mother and father were hardworking people. My father worked for the railroad. My mother was a homemaker. We were probably by today's standards where we were relatively poor, um, but my parents were good people, uh, decent and, and honorable. I, um, I knew at probably 11, 12 years of age that, that there was something just different about me. Um, I have an older brother who um, was very good at, at uh, doing things. He, uh, he favored my father that way. He was able to uh, work on cars and trucks and he worked in the summers, you know, on a farm and, and uh, he just, he was every bit, you know, a man, just like my, my dad. I tended to be more sensitive by nature and uh, I would uh, be prone to cry easily and, and uh, just, just uh, somewhat sensitive. But as, um, as I got into uh, junior high, I was, I was often the target of bullying. Um, I was that kid who was always chosen last on a team and sometimes not even chosen. It was like we're just stuck with him. And, uh, and that had quite an impact on me as far as my self-esteem. When I uh, was in junior high a little bit later, um, I noticed that, that that attraction was there. I would see older young men and, and just have, have that curiosity and that draw. And it, it made me feel uncomfortable and awkward, um, made me feel like um, I was somehow broken, somehow not what I needed to be by society standards. We were, my mother and father and I were active in our branch at that time, and there I felt a, a tremendous amount of safety and comfort, uh, was accepted and uh, valued and recognized, and, and I really threw myself into the gospel, and uh, I, I believed it, and it, it meant a lot to me. It was, it was a place of refuge, a safe place for me, but I still knew that there was something different about me. Um, I suppressed it, you know, I really pushed it down. Um, in high school, I dated some and uh, then it came time for me. Well, let me, let me go back to when I was 16 years of age. My mother and father and I went to get our patriarchal blessings. And um, how cool is that? Your mother and father mm -hmm. and you, all three of all you on the same day got mm -hmm. your patriarchal blessings. Mm -hmm. That is really unusual. It was a very tender day. My mother received hers first and then my dad, and then it was my turn. Now I was only 16, uh, very young, I guess. And, but as that sweet patriarch laid his hands on my head and pronounced that blessing, there was a tremendous outpouring of the spirit. And, and I knew without a doubt that that would be the pattern that I would follow for the rest of my life. Um, I knew that this was my blessing and that this was my destiny. And somehow I, I was able to feel that everything would be okay and everything would be right. Now, I've had that blessing for many, many years, and I've read it countless times. And it has been a driving force, a guiding light in my life. I knew that as long as I held to that and to my covenants, that I would be okay. There was no doubt in my mind that I would. 
It promised me things such as a, a mission, um, an eternal companion, uh, children of posterity. It, uh, it specifically spoke of service in God's kingdom, of being an example to others. And it also spoke at the very end that hand in hand, that I would go down the pathway of life with my beloved companion. We would bear each other up and give each other strength. And I looked forward to that day to have that companion. And I eventually had that by marrying my sweetheart, my wife. Um, I went on a mission uh, a few years later and uh, had wonderful experience with that. I think I was very blessed um, throughout my life, my mission included, but throughout my life to have strong male role models that influenced me for good. Uh, great mission president, wonderful companions, um, bishops, uh, priesthood leaders that uh, even I can remember my scoutmaster when I was a young boy who uh, accompanied me when I went to the temple and took out my endowments. Just strong valuable or valiant uh, priesthood holders that uh, tremendously set an example for me. Um, and listeners, we're going to link to an essay that David wrote. It's called A Promised Blessing. It was first written in 2014. I've read this essay a few times. It brings tears to my eyes. It, it'll probably include some content that doesn't come up in this podcast. We'll put a link in the podcast episode to this essay. And Anne also has um, a, ver a contribution towards this essay that we'll also put. So I encourage you both, uh, I encourage listeners to check those out. You're doing a great job of sharing your story. And I probably didn't mention you just got home from serving a mission in Hawaii. You served from um, 2018 to June of 2020, 20-month mission, the last three months back in the United States because of COVID. And thank you for your service in Hawaii and all the good you've done. Um, just keep telling your story. I'd, I'd like to get to this point um, when you served as a bishop, I think in Las Vegas, and um, at, towards the end of that, when you decided to come out to your wife, because this whole time, you're not talking about um, your SSA with anyone. Yes, I, I uh, kept that uh, very um, protected deep within my subconscious. I know it was there, and um, it was a conflict for me, certainly. Um, as I was serving as bishop, I had opportunity from uh, time to time to work with people that were part of the LGBTQ community. Um, one man in particular, uh, close to my age, um, was in our ward, and his mother had recently passed away, and he moved home from San Francisco to take care of her. He uh, had been in different relationships and had lived a gay lifestyle for many years. But when he came home to take care of his mother um, and she ultimately passed away, it was then that um, our paths crossed. And I was there when uh, she passed away and I worked with him as far as her service and such. And I invited him to come to church and uh, he deferred and, and uh, didn't know if that would happen. But it was a few months later that uh, I saw him sitting on the back row. And I went down and talked to him and felt impressed to invite him to come talk to me after sacrament. And um, 
after that service, um, he met me in my office and we talked about his life and what he had done as far as living away from the church. And and I, had, I don't remember a lot of that conversation, but I do remember that towards the end, I, I asked him if he would like to receive the priesthood. He was a I think he was a priest, a teacher, a priest. And he said, the priesthood? And I said, yes, the Melchizedek priesthood. And he said, well, I can't, I'm gay. And I said, when he, I asked other questions in my interview with him. And, and finally he said, do you think that that could happen? And I said, absolutely. I said, you're a, a value to our Heavenly Father. You're a value to me and, and you'd be a great asset to this ward. Well, long story short, he started coming to church, and within a matter of months, um, he did indeed receive the wow. Melchizedek priesthood, and ultimately, he even was able to attend the temple, take out his endowments. So he was a, a very influential person in my life, and at this one point, um, I saw him in the hallway, and we were getting ready to go on vacation, and he had uh, the book written by uh, Ty Mansfield. Mm-hmm. Um, Voices of Hope, and uh, he had that with several other books, and I saw that, and and I asked him if he had read it, and he said he hadn't yet, and I said, well, could I borrow it? I'd like to read it and and see what this is about. So I took it with me, and uh, we went to Washington State and uh, stayed at some lake property of Anne's family, and it was there I took this book out, and one day you were doing something, and, and uh, I was alone in the bedroom there, and I I read a couple chapters, several um, sections of different people's struggle with SSA. And I remember just being quiet and reflective. And I laid the book on my chest. And I audibly said, I must be gay. Wow. And I closed the book, put it back in my luggage, and just tucked it away again. That was in September, I think. August or September. Yeah, August or September. And and uh, we returned back home, and I resumed my responsibilities as bishop. And uh, it was then that, you know, I was struggling with some issues. I've struggled with depression throughout my life, and that's been a challenge. And I was seeing a therapist and trying to work through some thinking and some processing. And I disclosed to this therapist that I thought I was gay. And uh, we had some good exchange, and she counseled me maybe not to move too fast with all of this information. And I said, well, I feel like I should tell my wife. And she said, well, you might want to wait a little while. And, uh, and I didn't. Within a matter of a few days, I made the decision. And one afternoon, wasn't it a Sunday? Evening. Yeah, one evening. It was a Wednesday. Oh, it was a Wednesday, sorry. Um, I said, I need to talk to you about something. And uh, we sat down, and and I disclosed to her all of this. It came like a flood. There were tears, and it was a bittersweet moment. Um, it was... Sweet for you. Yeah, it was sweet for bitter me. For me. Bitter for you, yeah. Um, it was hard. It was really hard, and... And that night, um, I slept on the couch and, and uh, just felt lost, but did, refuel, did feel relieved. And Anne came to me later in the evening and knelt beside me and assured me 
that we would get through this and that things would be okay. Um, that was the first day. And then the next day, um, everything kind of came crashing in. And I got home from work and she got home from work and there was a confrontation as far as anger and frustration and well you you were so relieved mm -hmm. and you said how was your day and i said how do you think my day was and the volcano just exploded and i shouldn't have but but it's just it's just what happened and and of course that that was hurtful to you and then you left and i tried to get you not to leave but you left and that was a long night. Mm -hmm. I drove away and I just wanted to be alone. Um, everything was just, was happening so quickly and it was all coming in on both of us. And uh, as I drove away, um, Anne tried to reach out to me and, and uh, I didn't want any part of that. And um, she um, called our son in Indiana and talked to him and said, you need to call dad. So he did, and he called me, and because I I knew that he had told mm, Mitchell, yeah. So I knew that 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 was okay for Mitchell to call right. him in this instance. And so Mitchell was a lifeline for me, and uh, kind of kept me, kind of kept me going. But uh, as the night progressed, I just kept getting more and more into a dark place, and uh, I was quickly realizing that I was I was destroying my family my wife and our relationship and and I didn't know how to get out of it and um, so in that darkest hour I I drove to a, a nearby town and parked the car beneath a, an overpass a high overpass near Hoover Dam and I sat there for a couple of hours and I was so angry and I was so sad and and I thought that that maybe it would be better if if I just took my life. And it was just a it was a hard place to be. Fortunately, I finally realized that that would only contribute to my wife's sorrow and. And so I left and talked to my son, and he had talked to my other son, and I ultimately ended up at his home. And I remember when I told my, my one son that I had these feelings as far as same-sex attraction, and he said, Dad, he said, that's really not that bad. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I got through the night. I went home slept in another bedroom and and uh, the next day we we started to move on and um, there were still up and downs there were still yeah we, we had did. a lot we yeah. started started moving, moving forward. forward yeah we talked and and it was a few weeks a few days after that I guess that I met with my stake president and also a good friend of ours who had just been released as an area 70 dear friend and I shared with them that I was gay and they were wonderful and they pronounced blessings on me and 
encouraged me and they were there to support me. Um, as I was concluding the latter part of my service as a bishop, I asked the state president if this meant that I would need to be released. And he said, no, no. He said, we want you to continue as bishop. He said, you've done nothing wrong. And so um, I continued. And we didn't say anything to anybody for a while except our, our children. And um, it was two months later that um, I'd had some, some health problems. I had uh, fainted at church. I had some uh, blood pressure issues and such. And and the state president just felt that I'd been serving for five and a half years and it was time to be released. And so um, I was released. And uh, um, it was a tender time. Um, I loved my service as a bishop. I think the, the thing that was the hardest is, as a bishop, I worked with so many people. Um, my door was always open and people would come to me for guidance and direction. And I can remember many times reminding individuals, couples, youth, of their value and their worth, and that, that God was aware of them, that their Savior loved them, and that he would not leave them without comfort and wouldn't abandon them. And, and that brought me great peace and great joy to see people enter that office and talk with their bishop and then leave feeling less burdened and more loved, more valued, and recognizing how the atonement was going to work in their life. And then I would have, from time to time, I would have quiet moments after they would leave and I'd reflect on our interaction and always recognizing that the atonement was there for these people, but it wasn't there for me. It's really honest, David. I hope everybody heard what David said. It, you were helping all these people connect to the atonement, but then once they were gone, you went back to this dark spot that the atonement somehow didn't apply to you. Right. Talk to our listeners how you came to that conclusion and and how you un, kind of undid that conclusion, and I think your wife helped, and what you'd say to people that have come to that conclusion in their own life. That's like three questions. Do your best <laughs> to follow that. <laughs> I, um, I, knew, I, I knew that somewhere Heavenly Father and our Savior was aware of me. I just, I knew that, and I, and I wanted to believe that. Um, but I had this secret. I had this part of me that, um, that was broken, that wasn't whole. Um, and I didn't know what to do with it. So I just buried it. And after I finally came to terms with it and disclosed, that was the start of a process for me to find my place, um, with Heavenly Father. And it didn't come immediately. Um, it took time. Um, there was certainly relief that I could be honest now and transparent with who I was in this part of my life, especially with Anne and our children. Um, it was like I had a new lease on life, and I could, I could be myself. And um, we had uh, 
after being released as bishop. We lived in that ward for another six months, and then we moved to another ward for about three years. And and then uh, we made another move, downsizing, preparing for retirement, and eventually to go on a mission. And we were in a new stake in Henderson, and uh, we'd been there for a couple of weeks, and the stake president had called and and asked for us to meet with them. And so we went and met with them and sat down with them and just a, an amazing man, a very kind man. And he extended to me a, a call to serve on the stake high council. And I looked at Ann and we just kind of looked at each other. And I finally decided that I needed to share with him the situation with me being gay. And, and I did, we did. And, uh, he listened, and he asked some questions, and, and then I, I clarified with him that if he didn't feel that this was a right fit and that it wouldn't work, that we would certainly understand that. And, um, and he was quiet for a moment, and then he just reflectively said to us, um, I don't have any issue with this, but more importantly, your Savior doesn't have an issue with it. And that was a huge moment for me because finally he as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ was telling me um, that I was okay and that I was good enough and that in the eternal spectrum of things um, I had that value and worth that I had spent a lifetime searching for. That's a beautiful segment, and if that's Dick Prisons listening, that gift that he gave you in those powerful but simple words, the Savior doesn't have a problem with this. Um, and what that meant to you to create a belonging worth, I was finally enough. Go back to a little bit about where your mind was as a bishop um, with same-sex attraction. Did you, in those dark days, did you think the you know, the stake prison never would have called me or the Lord really would never have called me or I'm a fraud and I'm not putting word, trying to put words in your mouth, but just, and, and leading you to think the atonement doesn't apply to you. I know some of my other guests that have been on have talked about, if only they knew this part about me, I wouldn't have this calling or people wouldn't, it was just this really tough spot to be in, to have this secret if only people knew. Mm-hmm. Well, I knew from my, my patriarchal blessing, there was a part of it that referenced serving in the church Good. and being a part of uh, quorums and leadership. And, and it even specifically spoke that um, there would come a time after prayer and other service that I would serve as a judge in Israel. And I remember reading that from the time I was 16 and until many years later, and seeing that, and, and I knew what a judge in Israel was, um, but I just really believed that it would never happen, that, um, you know, that that was important, and that was significant, and, and I just knew that it wouldn't. And, um, and then years later, after having served as a counselor and a bishopric, I was called to be released. It was time for a new bishop to be installed, and I met with the stake president, and he released me. And uh, then he asked if I had some energy left to, to continue to serve. And I said, certainly. And 
he turned and grabbed a letter from his desk and he said, well, then we'd like you to be the next bishop of the country of Ward. And needless to say, I was very overwhelmed and touched and, and yet there was, there was this burden that I carried. I certainly went ahead and accepted and was very grateful to have that opportunity. Um, but it was, um, it was clouded a little bit in this uh, knowledge that, that um, somehow I was not whole and I was not right and I was different. And, uh, and I knew, I knew what it was. I knew that I was gay. And, um, but I, I wouldn't confront it or deal with it. So I began to serve and it was a highlight of my life. Um, I loved it. Love those people. And uh, it was a wonderful time to be able to serve. And, and, um, and Anne was an amazing bishop's wife. She sacrificed greatly during those years by being alone and, and yet so understanding and encouraging to me. So I enjoyed that time. And, uh, and then, as I've shared, Towards the end, that's when I disclosed. And um, that's where we are now. Can I interject a little bit? Yeah, I've got a lot. Go for it, Ann. When, um, when he was called as bishop, I, I knew that's exactly where he was needed. And the ward we were in, um, a lot of elderly people... It was a poor ward. I mean, I wouldn't say poor. Not everybody was poor, but it was it was not an affluent ward. It was a ward of um, moderate income. I mean, David is a school teacher, and, and I worked for the school district, and we were the rich ones in the ward as far as monetarily, which doesn't mean anything, but there was a lot of need there. There was a lot of emotional, physical, spiritual, financial needs in that ward. And I'll never forget um, the wife of one of his counselors got up one fast and testimony meeting. And she, of course, bore her testimony. But within that testimony, she talked about the bishop, which was who was David. And, and she said he was the bishop of love. And, and of course, many people kind of chuckled at that, but he was. He he had the compassion, the sensitivity. He knows exactly how to reach people, exactly how to comfort them, exactly how to um, represent the Savior as far as care and compassion and, you know, very little, if any, judgment, you know. He... Um, it it was wonderful to see him do this, and he was very busy. Um, I remember one day he came home from the hospital. He'd visited three sisters that day in the same hospital, and I said, don't take your jacket off because so-and-so called, and brother so-and-so's in the emergency room. They need you there. Um, he was very busy, and, and it was exhausting. I, I don't know how he did it. I know it was because the mantle of of being a, a bishop, but he was exactly where he was needed. Um, 
the people in the ward loved him. He was always available. His door was always open. And how did the ward respond um, when he came out, or did he come out to the ward? And did this essay that I'm reading make it into the ward hands? The essay did because um, it was part of Voices of Hope, and um, we were actually we were actually on vacation on our way to visit our son, I think, in Denver. And we got word that, because we were waiting for it to be posted, and we were really nervous about it being posted. Sure. And finally, we're, we're on the road. Yes, we're on the road. And this is this was, I think, two years. Mm-hmm. Well, it was a year and a half yeah. from when he had disclosed to me. And it was going to be released on Facebook. And it was going to be released on Facebook. And were you still serving as bishop, or was this after no, so he'd been he released was, at this he'd point? he'd been released. And we had actually moved out of the ward. But... We had a um, um, family home evening group. It was the 35 and older singles that even when we moved out of the ward, they still came to our home Awesome. once a month and had family home evening. So there was still a connection there. There were certain members of that ward that we would meet monthly and, and go out to, to dinner or to lunch. So there was still a lot of connection. So we heard it was coming out on Facebook, and we just kind of – held our breath and we're driving and about, I think within just a very few minutes, we went, I went online to see, and there was just response after response of positive, kind, encouraging um, comments. And a lot of them were from our ward. A lot of them were from our ward. And, and by, at this point we had also, we had disclosed to our the bishop that had been released before David became bishop, um, brother and sister Neil. And no one was ever shocked or maybe were surprised, but they never showed a face of shock or, or displeasure or, or any kind of negative. They just saw this as part of who he is. And now understanding it, knowing, um, He's the man he is. He's the bishop. He was able to serve as bishop because of who he is. And one of those facets of who he is is same-sex attraction. One of those facets is living so long with shame. And sometimes I think that shame still tries Mm -hmm. to rear its ugly head every now and then because, you know, the adversary just sits at our doorstop if we go out and he just is ready when we're at those vulnerable moments to just hop on board. Um, but essentially, you know, the shame is gone. Um, it's not there all the time. You know, it just, I think sometimes we allow Satan to, to walk in when we're, when we're vulnerable. And, um, it's a great segment. I love you speaking on kind of behalf of the ward and how they responded to both of you as you felt impressed to share this story. I want to go back to when he came out to you. And I think as I've understood this, it's sort of like David's been on this journey for decades and you're now on this journey day one. And these two journeys are overlapping for the first time. And it's a storming period. You've been to hell and back. I think you used that term before we went yes. live. but. This is you kind of talking to spouses as they're learning um, they're married to, you know, their spouses, LGBTQ. And just 
talk about your feelings, talk about how you worked through this, advice um, to others that are learning about this for the first time. I certainly think David and I would certainly give you permission to have a, some really hard times. This is a total curveball. And so I think the way you responded was pretty normal from everything I understand. And it sounds like your core communication, your common goals and the love of your kids kind of were those foundational principles and the gospel kind of kept you together. But just talk about that time, what you learned and advice for others. It was, it was difficult. Um, he was relieved and I went on a little bit of the selfish end of it. It's okay. Um, I, I, the first few days, the more I thought about it, I just thought, well, where does that put me? He's attracted to men. He's told me and reassured me when he told me that night, and it took him a long time to tell me. And, of course, I went to, oh, my gosh, he's had an affair. And I thought, no, David would have asked me permission to have an affair. <laughs> I knew it wasn't that. But um, That's it took funny. He would have. He, he's a teacher, and he would go to lunch with a group of teachers, and he'd call me when they had staff development. Hey, I'm going to lunch with five other women. I'm like, I don't care, because I tr that completely trusted him. And But for a time period, those first days, first week or so, um, I just thought, That's a great question to ask yourself. Where does this lead me? Where I think does it's a this logical leave me? question. He tells me he's attracted to me, but he's attracted to men. So is he really I mean, there was that questioning. Um it it explained some of the hard times in our marriage. Um when we'd have hard times, and we talked about this later, that um it put him in a vulnerable spot. You know, if we weren't getting along well. Um, as a couple, that the SSA would kick in. Not not that he did anything. He never did anything. He didn't even look at pornography or anything. But it it was there more. It was more strong, and so that explained a lot of things. Um, I I thought, what what are they talking about? A mixed orientation marriage. I the last thing I wanted in my life is more labels, and I I. I kicked at the pricks to say, I shouldn't say that, but anyway, okay. um, I, it was hard. And yet our son, David, we did, he disclosed on a Wednesday on the, that Sunday, our son called and he said, mom, I want you to come over. Our son that lived in Henderson, our, our middle child. And I went over and he and I took a drive and he said, I just need to know something. Are you going to leave dad? Or are you going to ask him to leave? And I looked at him and I said, neither. I said, I, I don't know how we're going to navigate this. I, I don't know the particulars right now, but I know that for today, that's temple ceiling, that covenant that we made. Right now, that's holding us together. The fact that we have three children and numerous grandchildren, that's holding us together. Um, and I, that's when, and by talking to our son, I realized, I told him, I said, your dad hasn't done anything wrong. And I'm like, hello, Anne, do you hear what you're saying? He hasn't done anything wrong. And I think at that point was a, a moving forward to help me understand. Um, I had to get beyond the fact that 
being gay was just behavior. Get beyond the fact that, yes, he's just told you this, so it's uppermost in his mind. It's like any big event in anyone's life. You know, someone is pregnant, all they talk about is having a baby. Someone is going to get married, all they talk about is their upcoming wedding. He's just disclosed, and now he's so excited to talk. He wants to talk to everybody about it. So I, rather than balk at him and work against him, I just needed to catch up to where he was. And I just want to share with you, I, I wrote down some thoughts, and um, I had a blessing by this very dear friend who was just released from before this happened as a Area 70. Area 70. And there was one of those nights where I was a mess, and we had had a little bit of a confrontation, and he had left. I knew he was going to come back, but... My dear friend, who's very in tune, called me, and she said, I think there's something wrong, and I was doing the ugly cry. So she said, I'll be right over. And I was sitting in the dark, and she came over, and she talked to me for a while, and she says, well, I'm, I'm going to call Jim. He, you, you need a blessing. I said, oh, I don't want him to see me this way. I mean, I was, you know, red eyes, ugly, runny nose. She said, no, he needs to come over. So Jim Gibson came over, and and he sat with me, and and... Interestingly enough, before he'd been released as an Area 70, they had been receiving a lot of training to in turn train stake presidents to in turn train bishops how to minister to LGBT. This was when the church just started to kind of embrace the fact that we needed to we needed to stop saying God loves everybody and show that our Heavenly Father loves everyone. And so he came over and he spoke very frankly with me. And he said, this can go one of two ways. But he said, I firmly believe that it's going to go this way, that you and David are going to get through this. And at one point he said, there'll come a day when you are going to teach the sisters of the church how to handle LGBTQ, whether it's a child, a spouse, a friend. And of course, his wife jumped in and she said, she doesn't want to hear that now. But that's always stayed in my mind that there was a, there was a purpose for this too. And he gave me a blessing, and I don't remember all of that blessing, but what I do remember is that he said, the powers of heaven are at your disposal. Angels will protect you and David, and the Holy Ghost will guide and direct you. And I've held on to those words from that blessing, not just in this situation, but in other situations since then. Because I know for all of us, the powers of heaven are at the disposal of every single son and daughter of our Heavenly Father on this earth, even if they don't know they're a son or daughter of Heavenly Father. The powers of heaven are there, ready, ready to fight for you, to fight with you, to, to gather you, and to guide you. And of course, the Holy Ghost does that constantly. Um, I would say for anyone who is confronted with this situation. And it's happening. And it's happening a lot. It's happening rapid, or, yeah, rapidly, it's a lot. Um, and I think the reason is so that first, the person dealing with same-sex attraction can understand that they're loved, can get rid of the shame, and can move forward because as long as they're stuck in that place where it's a big secret and it's shameful, 
they can't move forward. At least people around them may see that they are, but they really aren't because they've got this, this chain holding them back. And the adversary uses those kinds of things for his purposes. But I would say anyone who's faced with a family member disclosing that they have same-sex attraction or the LGBTQ or, you know, they know that they're LGBTQ and now their son wants to get married to another man or their wife wants to get, or their daughter wants, you know, that person that you love, after, you know, that they told you that they were gay, they told you that they were you know, whatever, wherever they are in that journey, you know, maybe they've told you they're gay, but now they're telling you, you know, I, I want to be married to a man or I want to be, I want to be married to a woman and I'm a girl. You love them before they told you that, you know who they are. Nothing changed except, you know, a little bit more about who they are and they've shared a secret but now that secret has turned into a gift. They've trusted you enough that they've given you the gift of being vulnerable. They've given you a gift and you have the opportunity. And it took me a while, but you have the opportunity to take that gift and see for what it really is which is still love, which is still a relationship that can grow even greater, and to cherish it. When we first started disclosing to people, we have a dear friend that David worked with, and she helped me understand this. She explained that, you know, you have, you have all these acquaintances. You have all these people in your life. It's like a bullseye. The ones around the edges, you know, the numbers that score 10, 20, 30, they're acquaintances, but there's a bullseye. There's a bullseye in the middle. And you know who's in that bullseye because when you disclose something that's very near and dear to your heart, they will open that gift and they will keep it near and dear to their hearts. And they can be a gift to you as you're disclosing. So, yes, it took me a long time. It took me a long time, and I finally had to physically and vocally tell Satan to get out of my house, to get out of my mind, um, because he is more important to me than anything. Our children grow up, they leave, they get their own families, and we love them dearly, and we love to be with them. But the person that I'm going to stand beside for an eternity is this man. The child that comes to you and discloses, you're going, you want to, you want to have eternity with them too. I almost blew it. I almost blew it by feeding into the adversary and into the selfishness and to the bitterness and fear. The one thing that's always been with me, my been my greatest weakness is fear. Fear is debilitating to me, and that's what I. That's what I, let control me, was fear. Fear of something new, fear of something different, 
and new and different is not necessarily bad. It, it makes us whole. And we're here for experience. And like the Lord told Joseph Smith, those, these experiences are for your good. I'm paraphrasing here. We can't grow without opposition. We go merry along in our life, and if there's no opposition, we can't grow. Um, and the last thing I'd like to say is that I read a story about, in J- I think it's Japan, where a, a very important vase may break. And we, if something breaks and we really want to keep it, we'll use super glue or hot glue and try to try to glue it together. But there's an art in, in, I don't know if it's Japan or China, I'll say Asian art, where they put the vase or the glass back together with gold. And so when the vase is put together, you see all of these lines all over it where it was broken. But it's been made more beautiful because of the gold. And not only is it more beautiful, but because gold is a precious metal, it's more valuable and precious. David's not broken anymore. He's, he never was really broken. But the parts of him that needed to be healed were healed with the, the Lord's love, the love of his family, the love of friends. And now he is like that base. He is more precious and valuable than he was before. Wow. That is powerful. And on behalf of all of our listeners, that was a beautiful segment. I'm a wonderful, strong woman with great insights in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you. You married well, David. Mm-hmm. I did. Um, good job acting on your impressions way back shortly after coming home from your mission. I'll just turn it back to you, David. I have a question, but any impressions that come to your mind, I do want to go back to this bridge you were on um, in this very darkest moment when you were thinking about suicide. And what would you say to other people that are on that bridge right now or thinking that's, you know, they're figuratively sort of in that spot you were in to give them hope? Um, Because you're clearly not in that spot now. I guess what I would say is that I would encourage anyone in that position, in that situation, to hold on just a little longer, to, um, to wait for the sun to come up, to have a new day, because things will get better. Um, and just to remind them, that that they have tremendous value and worth. Um, and it's not something to be taken lightly. Um, there's a reason why we're here on this planet. There's a reason why we interact with each other and we influence one another. It's all part of a great plan as far as I'm concerned. There are going to be those dark moments. Um, They happen probably to everybody. Um, But I would just encourage anyone that finds himself in that dark place to just hold on just for a little longer because that light will come in the morning. 
um, one of the things that after I disclosed to Anne that I was gay, one of the things that I truly desire to do, and we've tried to do since then, is to be a voice of hope for people. I would not ever want another person to spend decades of holding on to something that would be so debilitating, that would, that would be so difficult to bear. Um, we live in different times now. Things are more transparent and we're far more accepting of people and their differences. Um, I'm grateful for those that are a part of the LGBTQ community. community. Um, as a counselor, when I was working in the public school system, I often would work with kids that were discovering their sexuality, that were identifying as gay or transgender. And all I could do was just give them that assurance that, that they were okay and that there would be those that would advocate for them. Not everyone, not always, but there would be people that would advocate for them. And so that's why we have made the decision uh, to share our story. And we do on occasion, as often as we can. Um, we're not ashamed of our story. We're not ashamed of our story. We're not, not at all. Um, I identify as gay. My wife identifies as straight. It works for us. Um, this has been a blessing in our life, no doubt. It's made us stronger in our relationship. It's made us stronger in our own individual selves. Um, and I know that we're both grateful for it. Um, it's been hard and difficult and challenging, um, but hard things happen. Our uh, youngest son, he said, Dad, life just gets messy. And, and it does get messy. But, uh, and not just once. Sometimes it just mm -hmm. keeps getting messy, and then yeah. you dig out of that mess, and mm -hmm. then you move on to another right. one. And talk about um, David identifying as SSA and then identifying as gay, and how at first, just talk about that. We talked about for the podcast, you didn't like him identifying. At first, um, because to me, I mean, I'm 65 years old. And to me, when someone says gay, my mind immediately goes to behavior, immediately goes to sexuality, and it lifestyle. just, mm -hmm. and lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And at first, I just, I could not wrap my head around it. I love that we had this new term, and it doesn't mean anything different it's 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 the same thing. What do they call those words that mean the same thing? Synonyms. Synonyms. It's a synonym. But it was gentler. Having same-sex attraction was an easier thing to deal with. Um, because then I could say, oh, he's my husband. He has same-sex attraction. At first, one it's time okay. our son referred to his dad as being gay. And I, again, that volcano bubbled up and spewed out some steam. And I said, don't you dare call your dad gay. Because, again, it was it's just a word. It's a word. Um, women's conference that they just had recently, 
on BYU campus. They had a young lady get up and she introduced herself and she included the fact that she was queer. And you know what? I didn't cringe when she said that. Eight years ago, I would have just gone, how could she say that? But that was that was the way she identified herself. Mm-hmm. And she's a, she's a beautiful woman. She still happens to be active within the church. And she's very brave. And she's very, and she does, she's wonderful. Um, with, with, the, with the, her talk was just very inspiring. I agree. Um, but now <laughs> we kind of, I mean, our, our family, when my three kids get together with their dad, um, I have to be the anchor <laughs> because everybody just goes kind of crazy. But they just joke and they laugh and, and and they get a little irreverent. But every now and then, um, one time David was talking to our daughter and David's mom has been gone, what, many years? years and yeah. and But he'll, he'd be saying something and Eva would say something silly and he'd say, well, you know, my mom is dead, trying to get empathy. She goes, yeah, but you're gay. And, <laughs> and it's okay. It's really okay. And even our granddaughter, her, her 16-year-old daughter, she, she'll be talking to her mom and her mom will say, you know, duh, 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 you need to be doing this and, 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 you know, don't behave this way and don't do this. And, and our 16-year-old granddaughter will say, yeah, but your dad's gay. You know, it's... How does that make you feel, David, to have oh, your I- sexuality sort of normalized within the family conversation? It's fine. It's fine. Because Papa, you know, Papa, Dad is, is just part of him. You know, he's the fun, he's the fun Papa. He's fun. And they're not, they're not doing this to be irreverent Mm -hmm. or to put him down in any way. Um, They wouldn't do it around anyone else. They're all very protective of their Papa and their dad. Very protective. But it's just part of life Mm. and it's okay. And again, it's just a word. It seems to be a de-shaming thing that's occurred in your family culture. It is. It because is. this has moved to the point where there's some humor around it in an appropriate way, and you know where people are coming from. Mm-hmm. And this is a really unique story with your adult children and their... So many of these stories are people in their 20s coming out, but you have adult children walking... You know, I'm really... I'm, you know, that your adult son that's with you on that bridge and his role and your other adult son and your daughter and your granddaughter. This is part of a beautiful family love story. Mm -hmm. And I do love the role of your adult children and their support and love for you. And, and they just love you. And this hasn't changed anything. And that probably is healing for you to know that it didn't change anything. And your granddaughter loves you and, Mm -hmm. And that the lessons that your posterity is learning um, will help them in their lives with people that they work with and love and support um, and all versions of Heavenly Father's children because of what you've taught. I think one of your legacies in your family is the patriarch and matriarch is, is this part of your story. And there'll be just blessings for generations and generations because you were willing to step forth and talk about it. Talk to LGBTQ people that don't feel impressed to come out. Would you encourage them to come out like you have, or would you encourage them to um, do this the way they feel they should and seek personal revelation? And and then a sister question to that is, do you think they can get through the shame without coming out? And I'm realizing you're speaking to a group of people that, you know, 
that don't that aren't talking about this. Mm-hmm. I think that I think life is to be experienced and it's to be celebrated and we need to do all that we can to to celebrate and embrace our differences. Um, we're so unique um, in every family. Um, you have just so many different personalities and traits and characteristics. And um, it's, it's amazing to me. I look at our three children and they're amazing human beings, so different from one another, and yet such amazing people. Same with our grandchildren. Uh, we look at our respective families, our siblings, our parents, so different and uh, yet so unique in, in their individuality. Um, I don't think we should ever uh, be burdened with um, things that are not true. Um, I don't know if it would have worked for me when I was a teenager or a young married or middle-aged to have disclosed or come out. I just don't know. We, we, those were different times. Um, the church looked on things differently. Um, society looked on things differently. Um, but I think now where we are in the world, um, there's more safe places and uh, there's more acceptance. We still have a lot of turmoil. We have a lot of chaos in the world, but um, I think it's wonderful that young people like I used to be can now um, be honest with themselves and with their loved ones. doesn't mean that it will not be difficult and challenging, um, but there is a lot of support out there. And, um, and that's what we need is that support and uh, encouragement. Uh, we, we have family members extended that um, are dealing with various aspects of being gay. Um, and uh, lessons are being learned. And, uh, and I'm grateful that in our situation, we can again be a voice of hope and reason. And um, what a blessing that is. It's a tremendous gift. I think that um, we have a great responsibility. We as disciples of our Savior Jesus Christ, have a great responsibility to follow those two great commandments, to love our Heavenly Father with all our heart, mind, might, and strength, and to love one another. And it doesn't say to love one. It says to love one another as we love ourselves. It doesn't say love one another as long as they're the same as you. It doesn't say love one another as long as you don't have gauges in your ears, tattoos on your arms, or you're holding hands. Two men are holding hands or two women are holding hands. It doesn't say that. It says to love one another. I have learned through this experience and since then through scriptures, teaching lessons, serving a mission, what a great relief it is to leave all the judging up to our Heavenly Father and just make sure others know that we're a safe place. And it's important that parents, couples, siblings, 
in Relief Society, in Elders Quorum, church, we make sure people understand that we're safe. We're a safe place. Because when someone is feeling so ashamed because they're not the norm, they need to find a safe place, somebody safe to disclose. And, and all they need is one person to start. But they have to find someone who they really feel deep down that will love them or at least still like them after they say those words, I'm gay. They need to feel safe. That's a great, a great just um, thoughts on the gospel of Jesus Christ and what we need to do in our congregations. If there were a red button in front of you and you could push it to make David straight, would you push it? No. Why? Because that's a that's who he is. That's who he is. I would I would do more damage. He would be a totally different person. I love who he is. I fell in love with this guy. With all of his with all of his goodness and all of his weaknesses and all of his faults. I fell in love with him. And that would, if I push that button, that would be saying, well, you were broken. It was shameful. And I want to fix you. Wow. And I don't, why, why would I put him through that? Wow. That would put him right back on that bridge. Wow. And it would be my fault. So no, I wouldn't do that. Wow. I wouldn't do that. Listeners, when that question was asked, she took her hand as she was answering that question that wasn't on David's hand and just brought it right over to David's hand as she answered that question. That was one of the very best segments we've ever had on what it, I just hope all of you that are LGBTQ can hear what Ann just said. And that's how I think you need to feel about yourself. And I think that's how your heavenly parents feel about you and the Savior. It's the words your stick president said when he called you to be a high counselor. I think you're say the Savior's okay about this. It doesn't have a problem with it, I think was the words. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how that means to the resurrection, how being gay in the next life works out. I think I talked about in the book, there's a lot of LGBTQ Latter-day Saints with a lot of different feelings on that. I try to let each LGBTQ person sort of, dis to me, the resurrection is based on hope um, and lets everybody decide for themselves what that means for them. But I, so I don't want to get into that on the podcast, but I just want to, your answer was just a great answer. And there is no shame in that answer. It's the one of the best de-shaming answers I've ever heard to that question. I've never asked it to a straight spouse before. I've asked it to LGBTQ people. I've never asked it to a straight person in the context of a gay person. Any comments on that segment, David? I've always felt Anne's support and love, even in the difficult times. Um, we've been very blessed in our marriage. We've had a lot of experiences, a lot of moves, a lot of, just a lot of times that uh, we have shared. And um, 
and we have no regrets. We have no regrets. And, you know, as we've talked during this segment and others that you've done, Richard, um, you know, so much of it focuses on the LGBTQ community, community, but there are so many other um, challenges that people have. Um, I had shared earlier that I've struggled throughout my adult life with depression. It's been very, very challenging. Um, I diagnosed years ago with a chemical imbalance and some history in our family uh, with mental illnesses and challenges. And um, that's been something that that we have had to, to deal with. It's not been easy. Uh, the last part of our mission, the last year of our mission, I, I really struggled with the depression. Um, I was in a really difficult place with that. And um, it was hard. But once again, it was something that we worked through. Um, I relied heavily on Anne just to get through each day. Fortunately, we were surrounded by others, um, stake presidents, bishops, um, colleagues on our mission, other missionaries that that were that were aware and were supportive, and um, that I drew from their strength um, to get through uh, those dark days of the depression that I was dealing with then. Um, we faced challenges with health and uh, obstacles with family relations. Um, I would like to share um, one story. Um, we have three children, and uh, all three are members of the church. Our youngest son, um, both our boys served missions. All of them were married in the temple. Our youngest son has... Um, has chosen to um, not be a part of the church, he and his wife. That presented challenges to our family. Um, it was difficult. Um, but we have learned that even through something like that, um, there are great blessings. He is without a doubt one of our greatest blessings in our life. Uh, we love him. Um, he's a good husband. He's a good father. He's a good employee. He's a wonderful son, a brother. He, um, we see in him the best of the world, best of society. And we're so grateful that we were blessed to have him as part of our life. Um, we just learned a week ago, a little over a week ago, that um, he has a brain tumor. Wow. And... Um, and we'll have surgery on that, and and uh, we are optimistic that things will turn out well. Um, but he is that kind of an individual that um, he still respects us. He respects the church. He knows that we're praying for him. I asked him the other day if we could have a family fast, and he said, oh, by all means. Um, and so I, I share that because there's all sorts of challenges and obstacles that are placed before us that we find that we're dealing with, whether it's sexuality, whether it's mental health, whether it's um, involvement or lack of involvement in the church. Um, we all have choices and we all have journeys. Uh, his is his. This is ours. This is mine. And, um, and we, we just need to look for the, the best part of those obstacles and challenges. Um, I wouldn't have picked um, to be gay, um, but I am. And I've chosen with my wife to embrace it. 
and, um, and to help others learn uh, to navigate those waters and so that they don't have to deal with that shame, that terrible burden of shame, because there's nothing to be ashamed of. It's a great segment. I put on Twitter the other day, I, and it's kind of following up on what you said, that I think our heavenly parents are more interested in us um, getting along than having the same uniform beliefs. And then I used the hashtag from Elder Cook's talk, unity and diversity. And sure, I invite everybody to be a part of our church. Um, and I know you too do. You just spend a mission doing that. Um, but I recognize at the end of the day that um, as a parent, that the thing that makes me the most happy is when our kids get along. And and there is a lot of diversity in the world right now. And there's a lot of different opinions and different faith journeys. And um, you're teaching us through the gospel of Jesus Christ, how to find unity and strong families and strong communities with diversity. And I think that's the high bar, the higher bar that we're learning to get to. Any, this has just been a wonderful podcast. This is Sacred Ground listeners. I'm so honored that um, David and Ann Ricky feel um, safe to share their story on this platform. So it's a privilege for me. Um, they're two of my heroes um, for what who they are and their journey and the things that they've shared. And this will help a lot of people. But Ann or David, any other any final comments? I would just say embrace. There are so few reasons to not embrace others and their differences. And we learn that as as our posterity gets larger, there's going to be more diversity in it because we're not robots. We don't, we don't all, um, like you said, wear the same uniform. And I would say embrace others in where they are right now and enjoy the, the relationships that you can have. Um, when we were on our mission in Hawaii at BYU Hawaii, and over kids from over 70 different countries. And I can't tell you what a joy it was to see this rainbow of skin color across the campus and to see them interact. There are still problems. It wasn't, it wasn't the celestial kingdom, but it was the closest thing I have ever experienced to love in action. And <clears throat> I carried that away and the temple president there, President Hallstrom, one day when we were in a prayer meeting before we worked as temple ordinance workers, he made the comment, people come to Hawaii all over the different islands and they talk about how they experience such joy and such um, love. You know, when Hawaiians talk about ohana, they're serious. You sit at their table once, you become part of their family. I got to the point where I stopped saying, oh, I love that flower in your hair. Oh, here you go, sister, and they'd hand it to you. I never told anybody I loved their dress or their shoes because it would be on my doorstep the next day. But President Hallstrom said, you know, we talk about the Aloha spirit in Hawaii. A lot there at the PCC, BYU, Hawaii, and the Laie Temple. It's a triangle of of a wonderful place. You can feel the spirit throughout that community. 
But he said, what these others don't understand is that the Aloha spirit is the spirit of Christ. All it is is loving others right where they are, without judgment, without any second glance at how they look or the color of their hair or their skin or anything, just learning to embrace them. And I would say, learn to embrace others. Learn from them. Learn about their differences. How, you know, learn about them. Because the more you know someone, the more you love them. The more we know our Heavenly Father and the more we emulate our Savior, Jesus Christ, the easier it will be to recognize them when we come face to face because we will know them so well. One of the things that that I am most grateful for, in addition to Anne, is our children, our posterity. Um, they're so different and unique, and I take opportunity and liberty as often as I can to bless them. Sometimes it's individually, uh, sometimes it's collectively, uh, to pronounce a patriarchal blessing upon them. Um, and I would encourage listeners to look for opportunities to bless other people's lives, whether that's a prayer or whether that's a formal blessing or whether it's a, a note of encouragement or whatever. Um, recently, I had the opportunity. We did a, uh, for Thanksgiving, we did a, a Zoom meeting with all of our children so that we could all be together. And at the end, I felt impressed to pronounce a blessing on our children and grandchildren. And I was grateful for that, to be able to reach out to them and invoke that spirit of, of blessing from their father. Um, I am grateful for my life. I love the Savior, Jesus Christ. I look forward to that day when... I can look him in the eye and feel of his love and presence and know even more that I'm enough. That will be a great day for me. Thank you, David and Ann Rickey, R-I-C-K-E-Y, for being on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. And from all of our listeners, we love you your spirit, the things you taught, your beautiful marriage, your beautiful family. And thank you for being on this episode. And we use the word embrace a fair amount in this episode. That's a word that's in my book. I've never really talked about that as we were looking on the title, Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints was a word I worked really hard on. And um, we never talked about that, but the Rickies have. And I think embraces literally and figuratively as they've been teaching. And I think we all need to feel embraced and, and do embracing of others as the Rickies have been teaching. So this is Richard Osler signing off. Mm-hmm.